Space Cadets and the Legend of the Goliathon. Story by Brent Winzek and Jordan Stein. Sound design by Chris Shindigay and Man of Science Studios. Episode 3, The Legend. File information. Name, Proposal G. Category, Video. Date, August 18th, 2345 AD. File playback in 3, 2, 1. Thank you, members of the research board, for selecting this project. Uh, I've realized the controversial subject matter makes this, uh... Please, Mr. Socks, keep your presentation... Right. Sorry. I'm sure that many of you know the legend of the Goliathon. It makes a fascinating bedtime story. And in many ways, it is all that survives of the Candelonian race. Millions of years before man or Kleptorkian, the Candelonians, our hot-tempered reptilian brethren, evolved. From the beginning, they acknowledged the existence of other species, but held fast to the belief that they were God's favored race. Their proof of this was a pair of sister relics left in the universe for their exclusive use. The Goliathon, a device that converts energy into matter, and the Zeremoth, which converts matter into energy. Throughout the ages, the Goliathon has been the more coveted, for with it, the wielder could summon armies, erect kingdoms, or even generate whole worlds just as God did. But witnessing the rage and pride of the Candelonians, God confiscated the Goliathon, hiding it away in the farthest reaches of the universe. He did, however, leave a trail through alien worlds that only the wisest, gentlest soul could withstand. While the tale has outlived the Candelonians, few people believe the legend of the Goliathon holds any truth. Now archaeology has proven that Candelonians abandoned technology roughly 60 million years ago, after they colonized their second homeworld, Candelos Prime. None of the surviving records referencing the Goliathon predate that historic event. I propose that this is because Candelonians of the First Age manufactured both devices, and it wasn't until the Second Age that the relics fell into religious folklore. I could be wrong, of course, but what if it's out there? The video freezes, blinking on several screens in the explorer's pristine white medbay. The cadets have huddled around Clackshock's body, which Hank has wired into a computer console. Jablon looks up at the unconscious Argyle socks through a window in the adjacent room. He lies on a hospital bed, surrounded by glowing green monitors where the medbot, a white robot with spider-like arms, hovers over him. Its many limbs levitate around his body, tending to his wounds. This guy is certifiably insane. Whoa! Clackshock's body erupts in sparks and Hank ducks. Stanek waves away the smoke as a compartment in Clackshock's chest pops open, revealing the datacom. He's got a datacom? What is it? My grandmother had one for teaching history. Just a really old research device that archives documents. Probably the source of all these files. Scans complete. Identity confirmed. Says here his name is Argyle Sox, part of the piracy prosecution program. He's with the ISF? Mm, was. According to our database, he was dishonorably discharged six years ago. Cause for discharge? The details of his mission are classified. But the date? What? He was discharged on March 19th, 2346, immediately following Incident 601. I thought he looked familiar. We're approaching the barrier. Medbot, stabilize the patient's vitals and keep him in stasis. Everyone, back to the bridge. The explorer flies towards the Great Barrier, 
a glowing blue patchwork of force fields stretching out into space, emitted from silver structures the size of skyscrapers. A tunnel passage opens its thick doors, and the explorer floats in. Station 1193 Sierra, this is ISF Explorer requesting barrier passage. Clearance code 099 Bravo 164, over. Clearance confirmed. Please hold. Scans complete. Proceed. Welcome to the frontier. Stay sharp, everyone. I want you all at your stations for now. Until we pass through the outer rim, we're at risk. Oh, where are you going? To figure out who our stowaway is. Stanek makes his way back to the med bay, where he continues to sift through the files of the datacom. Maps of planets, dig sites, and pictures of pirates. Stanek finds a file labeled Elaborap, with entries dated from 2345 to present. Medbot, wake up the patient. Now. Affirmative. How are you feeling? Damn. Where's Clackshock? He didn't make it. His body. Take me to his body. I already have the datacom. You hacked in? This is my ship. When I find a stowaway unconscious in the engine room, I want to know why. Stowaway? Where am I? You're aboard the ISF Explorer. Ah, space cadets. Congratulations. How far out have we gone? Where are we? Just passed through the barrier. We'll hit the outer rim in less than 12 hours. Uh, I don't suppose you're making a supply drop on here, Nas. Not a chance. How are your ribs? Huh? Oh, fine. Could I convince you to make a drop at Smith's Point? I, I could pay you. Wouldn't take long to collect a few deaths I'm owed there. Payment won't be necessary. But it's a possibility. We'll gauge the pirate activity when we pass through and go from there. <laughs> if it's pirates you're worried about, then take me to Minos. That's where I need to end up. Like I said, we'll see. In the meantime, I'm curious. Why did I find you bleeding out in my engine room? I'm a privateer. I'm investigating something for the ISF. I read your file. You were discharged six years ago, so tell me another one. Captain, please trust me. I'm handling a delicate matter. Just drop me on Minos so I can continue my work. Who are you working for? I don't work for anyone. This holoscan was taken three months ago. You make a habit of spending time with dead pirates, or is a labarap an exception? There's, there's an explanation. Let's hear it. May I? By all means. Well, for starters, the reports two years back about a labarap's death were false, as you've already gathered, I'm sure. But it allows him to move around freely, so he never refuted the claims. And I was working with him, but undercover for the ISF. I needed to gain access to this. These are pages from Nogalop Smith's diary. That's the symbol your robot carved all over my engine room. The Mark of the Goliathan? Really? The Legend of the Goliathan? That's really what this is about? Yes. No wonder you were decommissioned. Look, all these hollow scans were taken at Candelonian archaeological sites. There's a series of temples that lead to the Goliathan. I've been to two of them, and I know where to find the third, but a labrap is not far behind me, which is why I need to get to Minos. I find it hard to believe that someone as cunning as a labrap is chasing a fairy tale. Then knowing he's after it should be your assurance that it exists. I know it, a labarap knows it, and I have to get to it before he does. If I drop you on my house, I want any information you have on a labarap's whereabouts in exchange. Why the interest in a labarap? March 19th, 2346. The attack on Freighter 601. I assume you remember that. Yes, of course I remember. Then you understand my interest in a labarap. I'm glad to see you made it out of there. My captain didn't. Revenge clouds a man's judgment. This isn't revenge. He killed my captain. A vengeance, then? No. 
If he's still alive, I want to bring him to justice. Call it what you will. Elabrab's a dangerous Which man. Which is why he needs to be stopped. You think you're the first who's tried? But if you know where he'll be... I don't, Captain. Depending on how he interprets the clues, he could be anywhere. Damn it, I know. I, I just thought... If you came with me, we'd undoubtedly cross paths with him. <sighs> no, I can't. But I am going to keep you ahead of him. Jablon, come in. Go. Jablon. Set course for my house. Several hours later, the explorer soars into orbit around Minos, a planet that looks like a shimmering white pearl. The ship drops into the planet's atmosphere, soaring into thick white snow clouds of a raging blizzard. The atmosphere is pretty harsh here. Yes, but I have shelter, and I can hitch a ride with some fur trappers when I'm through. Zero visibility, and I've got no readout in this storm. Right 20 degrees rudder. Mountains off the port bow. Hulgarian sonar. Very nice. Cliptock, activate the pod's preparation systems. Sir? I can't drop Argyle off in the middle of a blizzard. You said you had shelter. Where is it? Oh, thank you. I'm patching into your navigation computer, Hank. Best place to land is the inland sea on the largest continent. Jablon and Cliptock shoot each other a concerned glance as Jablon prepares to land. The explorer lowers over the icy blue ocean. It kicks up whitecaps, steering clear of a glacier before running up to the rocky shore of the inland sea. The terrain is blanketed in crisp snow, and a forest of leafless purple trees covers the slopes of the jagged mountains beyond. The explorer lowers its hatch into four feet of snow, and the pod a small white jeep with thick, rutted tires and a rear-mounted turret gun grumbles down the ramp. Inside, Argyle, Cliptock, and Stanick bounce along through the storm. Hard to believe anyone actually lives out here. Well, the climate has encouraged some interesting animal hides, and a few months' discomfort is worth the price they fetch. I've turned in a few myself. The pod's windshield wipers mark time as Argyle produces a fur cap from his bag and pulls it snugly over his long hair. The vehicle scales the mountain slope for some time before Argyle points, seeing a little wooden shack nestled between two large boulders. Ah, there it is. Your next clue to the Goliathin is in some mountain man's home? Oh, heavens no. I built this. Cliptalk pulls the pod up to the shack and Argyle hops out, collecting firewood from a snowdrift and hefting it into the shack. In the pod, Stanick watches him as he fidgets with his wrist cons. Jablon, do you copy? Come in, Jablon. We can't make it back in this. I can't see more than five feet ahead. You never would have made it on foot. We're not going after a labyrinth. I never said we were. I know. I know. Never mind. Where's the transmitter extension? The system doesn't need one. Signal booster is built in. Everything okay? Can't reach Jablon and Storm's got navigations on the fritz. Can we wait it out here? Of course. Come in, please. Inside the drafty cabin, Argyle pulls a kerosene lantern from a rickety shelf and lights it. Doused in lamplight, the shack's timbers come alive with shadows that play across a multitude of furs nailed to the walls. Argyle tugs a bookshelf away from the wall, revealing a rocky, cavernous tunnel. Last time I was here, found some old Candelonian artifacts in these caves. I constructed this shack to conceal it. Lucky thing, too. My visit was cut short by some nosy ruffians. Should have known Minos would have a temple. You'll excuse me if I get right to work? Don't let us hold you up. I'll leave the lantern here for you. There are a few books around here somewhere. Oh, and some canned meat if you get hungry. Or you can join me if you'd like. Walt, 
What are you doing? You'd rather stay here and eat canned meat by lantern light? Deep within the mountains of Minos, the trio's lamplight roves across the rock. Movement on the ceiling attracts Cliptok's attention, and she stops, raising her lantern. The light shimmers across a patch of lumpy orange moss, quivering as it clings to the rock. Uh, Argyle? Fantastic. Everyone keep an eye on that. Cliptok, lower your light as slowly as you can and be ready. The moss wriggles along the ceiling. As it goes, more moss joins it, writhing and rolling into a single mass, then wobbling further into the caves. Follow that moss! I've been told the Candelonians would use migrating moss to find their way when exploring. I like a trail of breadcrumbs, only they could condition it to migrate in certain directions, and I don't believe it's indigenous here. They race down the winding cavern until it spills out into a cobblestone chamber where the orange moss ripples all over the walls. Argyle, Stanick, and Cliptok come to an abrupt halt. A limestone podium sits crookedly in the center of the room, holding three metal figures, each caked with dust and grime. Oh, wait! Before we touch anything... Argyle fusses with his datacom, and the device emits a series of orange lasers, which form a wire frame of the room. Perfect. Now to business. Yes. Uh-huh. At the podium, Stanick brushes grime from the figures. A three-inch claw, a mushroom, and a leaf. This is primal candelonium. Very old and quite dead. But thanks to Nogalop, we can decipher it. The test lies in the fall. Only a humble heart shall be left untouched. For all others, the beast awakens. What a pretty poem. Cliptok and Stanick exchange a questioning glance, and Cliptok shakes her head. It seems as if we have to choose. Only one of these will grant us passage. No, I don't think so. Oh? The riddle, it emphasizes singularity. One with true wisdom shall be left untouched. And look around. Where would we put the piece we choose? I think we have to remove two figures. Yes. I think you're right. So which one do we leave? Well, in Catalonian culture, the claw is a symbol of pride. The leaf is from a fruit-bearing tree, Kalep, which is basically a Catalonian cedar tree. In their oldest religious passages, the tree of wisdom was a Kalep tree. These represent three sins Catalonians committed to anger God. After sin three, the Goliathan was taken away. The first story tells the tale of a prideful Candelonian who spent days tearing away at the bark of the wisdom tree with his claws in order to drink the sap because he thought it would grant him God's omniscience. The second tells of a Candelonian leader who took the fruit from Caleb and convinced God's other creations to eat it in hopes that their sin would drive God to denounce them. But God is all-seeing, so that didn't end well. Now the mushroom represents the fungi that grew on the bark of the wisdom tree. Uh, once every few years, the Candelonian pack elders initiated young warriors into manhood by sending them out into the wilderness on a spiritual quest. The warrior's first task was always to retrieve a mushroom from the wisdom tree and eat it to induce spiritual visions. The fungi took years to ripen, and there were never enough for every warrior. Often, several candidates would fight to the death. On this particular occasion, one smaller warrior was envious of the others in his pack, so he ventured out and scraped the tree clean of the mushrooms, saving only one for himself. While he succeeded in becoming the only warrior initiated, the pack's defenses were jeopardized. Only a few months later, their village was invaded by an enemy clan. There were no survivors. So which one is it? Okay, so the three sins were pride, envy, and greed. The passage says you need humility to get the Goliathan, and the opposite of humility is pride. We've already been told to leave our pride behind. So it's got to be the claw. The reference to the three sins is just a diversion. Hmm... Then we remove the leaf and the mushroom. 
Uh, what happens if we're wrong? Eh. Argyle pulls the leaf and the mushroom from the podium. The stones at their feet glow pink, and Stanek jumps aside as the floor lowers, forming a spiral staircase into darkness. Argyle socks beams, taking a few steps down the spiral stairs before he stops, looking back at Stanek and Cliptock. Impressive for a fairy tale, don't you think? Coming soon, Space Cadets and the Pirates of the Outer Rim, the next chapter of our sci-fi radio drama. Get updates on Season 2 and explore the universe with our Space Cadets compendium. Visit SpaceCadetsRadio.com. This has been a Space Cadets Radio production.